This is Madeline. And this is Cammie. And you're listening to the Communities That Convert podcast. Episode number 43. Did you know that there is a psychology to setting prices? I thought it was more like the wheel of fortune. Spin the wheel and hope for the best. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Communities That Convert podcast with Madeline Sklar and Cami Hoiza. In this podcast, you will learn how to build a tribe of raving fans. You will hear tips, ideas, and advice you can use right now on how to grow your own community and provide value that inspires them to take action. Are you ready to get started? This episode is brought to you by the Communities That Convert Facebook group. Come join us in our private group because it's the place where we continue the conversation from here. All you have to do is go to Facebook and look up Communities That Convert and look for the groups, or you can go directly there at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Communities That Convert. And be sure to use our secret word, action. Yeah, action. So... Last year, Madeline, I got very interested in pricing and sort of how pricing worked. And I'm a little bit of a nerd, I'm going to be honest. And I liked to see what the psychology of pricing, I just want to know why you do everything. That's really important to me is to understand the why. And so I went and did a lot of research. And then you and I shared some of this research and read through it together. So we are going to share some of the research that we found was most interesting as it really identifies with pricing. So we want you guys to have the latest and greatest without having to read the huge articles we did, although we do have links to these articles in the show notes at communitiesthatconvert.com. The first one, and I'm going to start out, is really about the complete guide to psychological pricing. And this article went over an introduction to the psychology of pricing and leading pricing strategies that are based on psychology. So I picked out five tactics that I thought were kind of interesting. And then you're going to do the same, right? Yes. I'll mention some tactics that I went through in a different article. You know, it's interesting because we went and read through some articles separately, but there was a lot of things in them that were the same or similar. So this is going to be a really cool episode. We're going to cover a lot of different tactics and strategies that will help you with pricing. Right. And at the end, we're going to go through my way of putting together a pricing strategy that gets you to an actual number. And we're going to offer you a really cool download where you can go like a calculator. I'm going to use a spreadsheet because I'm a spreadsheet mania person. And I'll set up a spreadsheet for you. And I'll show you how I often come to my pricing decisions. And hopefully with all of that, you'll be able to go and pick prices for your products and your online courses or communities. And hopefully that'll be helpful to you. So let's get started. Let's Um, do it. So tactic number one for me was leveled pricing. Using three prices and using the middle one, well, you have three prices, a low, a medium, and an expensive pricing. And what you will find is most of the time people will pick the middle price. And I use this in all of my online pricing and also with some of my current client work. So in my proposals and so on, I always have these three pricing and and there's different levels. Software engineers obviously use this too. Software sales companies, you'll see, you know, you buy this and you get these things. And if you buy the middle one, you get these. But even if you had exactly the same product, there was an experiment jointly conducted by MIT and the University of Chicago that where they sold the same item of 
women's clothing. And together, they price them differently at $34, $39, and $44. If you saw the same blouse at $34, $39, and $44, which one would you think that you would pick? Yeah, probably that middle one, right? Because the cheapest one, you're going to think there's something wrong with it, right? <laughs> and, then who wants, and then who wants to pay the mo- you know, for the expensive one when there's the same one that's a little mm-hmm. bit cheaper? So actually, you're right. The item priced at $39 sold the most, even though these items were absolutely identical. So that pricing strategy is really, really powerful. And it tricks your mind in some ways. Just like you said, you're worried. You don't want to make sure you get the best. You don't want to get the worst quality. You don't want to pay the most. So you'll pick the middle one. So I found that to be very, very true. In one of my things, we do Texas Travel Talk. We have three different package levels. And they're all very interesting package levels, but no one hardly ever picks the lower one. Almost everyone picks the middle and a few here and there will pick the highest priced one because it has more features. So I think that that's a really, really powerful tactic. And I've tested it in the field and I can tell you it absolutely works. And I changed all of my pricing, by the way, after I did this research. So it really does work. The second tactic that I thought was really super interesting was about graphic design choices, because that's simple, right? Like when you're putting together your graphic design or your offer, there were a couple of things that really made a difference. Using a smaller font is usually more attractive, especially if you're comparing it to another price. So if you show it could be this price, but it's this price, always make your price the smaller font. Placing the price at the bottom left of the screen, I thought this was really interesting people see that as less expensive if they see it in that corner versus if they see it in the right corner. And then also removing the comma, and you're going to talk about this a little bit too, but removing the comma and the price removes the fluid reading of the price. So making it seem smaller. Punctuation really stops your eye on the price. So you want people to kind of just go past the price as quickly as possible and not ruminate on the price. So I thought that was really interesting. Removing the comma, putting it the lower left and making it a smaller font. Very interesting because I've always thought, make it bigger so that people see it, put it on the right hand side. Right. And definitely because of my background as an editor, I always like put that comma in there, put that comma in there. I'm like so reformed. It's not to say don't ever, ever, ever do that. But it's just interesting that they've conducted studies and interesting how the psychology of this is in action here. I find it very fascinating. Yeah, me too. Because our brains, you know, we have, we put things into places in our brains, you know, so our brains work a certain way and they have to work that way. Because if we had to reclassify everything we ever saw, we would be exhausted by like mid morning. So our brains put things in little packages like, oh, it belongs in this cubby hole or that cubby hole. So, you know, knowing how your brain works, I don't want to trick anybody into, into taking a price that isn't good for them, but it is good to know if you're shooting yourself in the foot with the price that you're offering. So sure. The other one is anchoring. Anchoring is another way to manage pricing. You can let people know how much it would cost if they paid full price, then give your lower price that you decided to give along with the reasons why you're offering it at this time. So for example, you see it all the time in courses and stuff that people offer online. They throw in a lot of things that increase the value and maybe they even sold that thing before. So they know that it costs $200 for people to buy it. And maybe people even have bought it at $200. I would recommend never lying about the value of something. I know some people do it, but I personally would never lie. So I would say, you know, in order to have this thing and it would cost you X and you can add up all those prices. And at the bottom, it would be 
a couple thousand dollars, but maybe you are thinking you want to start this project. So for example, in our podcasting course that we're putting together, we want to get that out and on the ground. So we're going to offer a much lower price because we want real students to come take the course, give us feedback, help us with testimonials. And, you know, it's the value of it is much more than we're going to charge for it. So we're going to tell them why we're doing it. We're doing it because we need your help to move this forward and then, you know, make it into an ongoing product. So I think anchoring is really interesting. One of the ones from a uh, that I thought was interesting from the article is William Sonoma, who is obviously a retailer. They did a great job of exploiting this anchor price principle when it rolled out its first bread machine they didn't sell very well. They were trying to sell them for $275. And so they introduced a second, more deluxe model. And that had double the price tag. They placed it next to the first one and they declared the original to be 50% off. And suddenly they couldn't keep them on the shelves anymore. They were having a hard time selling even one. Now all of a sudden they sold, you know, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these and maybe even thousands of these bread machines. And I don't know, do you have a bread machine in your house? I do not, but I guarantee you my mother would have gone to William Sonoma when this happened two decades ago and seen the deluxe model with double the price tag and the psychology behind it, you know, it's like, I got to have this. And so I can totally see this. I could totally see them flying off the shelves. Yeah. And I'm sure some people bought the deluxe model as well, which I think is a really great thing because then they have something that works a little bit different. You can do the same thing with not retail, but also with the products that you're offering. You know, if people aren't really buying your lower priced item, why not create something that's twice the price or more and then put that out there and say, hey, and if you would like and you're not ready to get to this really higher price thing with more features, I have this thing that's already created that's amazing. A lot of people said that it's been helpful to them. And I can see the same thing happening. Lots of those flying off the shelves, so to speak. So that's another tactic. Tactic four is called just notable differences. So that's just frequently making small price increases. So one of the things that I know is difficult is people worry about putting a price out there and being stuck with it forever. And so what I would suggest is that you go and you start to raise that price very slowly. I've seen this in a countdown timer where they say, if you buy this in the next 24 hours, it's going to be $24.95. But if you wait until tomorrow, it's going to be $27.95. And then it goes to $29.95. Then it goes to whatever. And then, you know, before you know, it's at $50 or whatever your final price is. So I've seen that happen. You talked about a really cool tool with that. Do you remember yeah, that, Jason? Yes, yeah, so I follow Jason Zook, who's a fascinating guy. He's done some really interesting things over the years. And he has a tool called Bump Sale. And it's super cool. Bumpsale.co. And we'll have the link in the show notes. But basically, this tool, you set it up so that you can make it where every day the price tag goes up a dollar. And I've seen him do this with his books when he puts a book out for sale where it starts at a dollar amount and then every single day it goes up a dollar. But he's also done some other things where it just like doubles in price each day, like really interesting things that have worked really well in his favor. And I guess he had enough interest where he developed a tool to help you do it. So I think that's really neat. I've seen, you know, these small price increases happen with online courses. Like an example that that comes to mind is John Lee Dumas. He has this program called Podcasters Paradise. It's been around for years. And I remember when it first started, it was just a simple online program. 
community really is what he was building, helping people become podcasters. And this was when I was first podcasting and I thought about joining. And I remember it was maybe two or $300 to start. And I watched the price increase over time slowly. And then years went by and then he was selling it for like eight, I want to say it was like maybe $800. Like this is like an, I believe it was either a one-time fee or an annual fee. I'm not really sure. But I remember people were paying for it. And I was like, wow, he's really increased the price. But then again, if you look at what he's offering, he's built up a library of content over time. So that will make a big difference as well. So I'm trying to look at the programs I'm providing and how can I apply this strategy you're talking about, Kimi, because it's very interesting. And I think it's something we should all be looking at with our programs. Right. And the Jason Zook version where you bump it up every day, that creates some urgency too. Like, yeah, you may, I'm going to buy this. So I might as well buy it today. So I don't have right. to pay three you or $4 money. extra. John Lee Dumas maybe doesn't have that same urgency, although that could play, but that's more of the boiled frog kind of syndrome, right? Where if, if the frog stays in the hot water long enough, they don't realize that the, the water's gotten pretty hot. So right. I think that there's a really interesting, you know, two different things at play there for those different ideas. So very good, very good examples. The fifth tactic was downsell. And I've seen this a lot. There's also a trigger sell that some people do, like wherever you buy a smaller amount and then they offer you something that's more expensive. And it depends on how you want to do it. But this is the opposite of that. That's where you offer a smaller package for a lower price after a launch. So Todd Herman, who does the 90 day year, I actually was a benefit, if you will, of this downsell kind of thing. He has a big package about how to use your 90 days to plan and really have a better um, outcome for your business. And I love his program, by the way, but I was thinking about doing it. And then I was on vacation and then his cart closed. And I was like, "Ah, I guess I missed it. Guess I'll have to wait till next year. And then boom, I get this email that says, Hey, you know, you are the kind of person that likes to do it yourself. And I'm like, yes, I am. So that's psychological too, by the way. And then I said, yes, I am that type. And he offered the program for a downsell price. I think it was like $800 instead of a thousand. I don't remember something like that. It wasn't a huge difference, but the only thing he was going to do differently is he was not going to be personally available to us because he was doing some calls. And I thought, you know, I just want to learn how to do this stuff. I'm happy. So I actually paid for that and um, went ahead with with his downsell. And I probably would have paid the full price if I'd been paying attention, but I would have waited another year and he wouldn't have had that sale for me. So I would say that there's a lot of people that would get in on that. And I did see that it was true because there was like 800 people in that group. I mean, he really did build that group up over time. So he had two different Facebook groups, one for his like premium students and one for And so we were a lot more interested in each other too. Like we helped each other a lot more, I think, than if we'd been in the bigger group. I don't know. That's my thought on it anyway. Downsells really help. So have it in mind. It would have be something that's similar to what you're offering, but has less features. I love it. That's awesome. So I read an article titled Pricing Psychology. So I want to share some of the tactics that were in there. And we'll have the link to this in the show notes. This article had 42 psychological tricks to make your pricing more effective. And I'm going to share the ones that really stood out to me that I think might be helpful to you, the listener. And I'm just going to read these right out of the article to you. So uh, the first one, and these are the actual tactic numbers. So if you go into the article, like I'm going to do like tactic one and tactic three and tactic seven. So, you know, I'm doing the actual tactic number that goes with the article. So 
Tactic one I thought was interesting, reduce the left digit by one. So for decades, marketers have been using charm pricing, and that means ending with nine or 99 or 95. You know how you hear like, you know, price this at $49 or 47, or, you know, there's these numbers that they call charm pricing. And it's most effective when the left digit changes. So like, if there was, uh, you know, let's say there's a dollar difference between selling something for $200 versus 199 that 199 is going to make a difference, right? $199, you're focusing on the one, not that it's $200. Does that make sense, Cammy? I mean, ha- yeah, no, totally. It, I mean, that's, it that's works. definitely what you do. I mean, that's, I always think about that with gas. It's always like, 99.99 and 99. <laughs> right. Like there's like three 99s, like 99th of a cent. I mean, who who does that? I mean, that's just what you think. So it's always a penny up, but you never think of that. You say the gas is a dollar fifty or a dollar right. fifty-six. You don't say it's dollar fifty-seven, right? Exactly. So it's amazing yeah. how just that one digit makes a huge difference. Tactic number three, I found this to be interesting. Displaying prices in a small font size. So your brain has a universal conceptualization of size. So there's a blurred overlap between visual size and numerical size. So that's why customers perceive your price to be smaller if you display your price in a smaller font. And then the reverse works for discounts. Since you want to maximize the size of your discounts, you should display those numbers in a large font. I just think that is so interesting, you know? that little things like that can make such a difference. They can, totally, yeah. And then tactic number seven, offer payments in installations. And so- For installments, you mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, installments. And so when you get people the option to pay for your product in smaller increments, rather than a lump sum, you anchor people on the smaller price. They're popular because they're visually lower, even though they're paying more. So suppose you're selling an online course for $499 and you also offer a payment installation. And we see this all the time. People are always doing this. So let's say an example is five payments for $99. You're tainting people's comparison process with this. They're more likely to compare your installment price of $99 to the lump sum of $500. And that's a huge difference that makes your offering more appealing when when you're doing that $99. And listen, people are not stupid. They know that you're comparing 99 to 500. I mean, they they know that it's not an accurate, like they get it. Like we all get it. We know that when we see the 99 and the 500, but people often compare reference prices subconsciously. So your installment price has a good chance of working here. So I haven't really done this and I've thought about it. Mm -hmm. But I haven't really had a course that was high enough in price where I felt like I I should do an installment plan. I mean, if I had a a course that was $499, yes, for sure. But I haven't ventured to high pricing yet. Yeah. And I would say also, and you use the example of 99 versus 499, five installments. A lot of people do this, but it costs more money if you, you take the installments. And I actually like that kind of pricing. And I'll tell you why as a purchaser, if you will, I like it because I will pay the 500. I'll just pay it right there. And then I have the money to do it. So I'll pay it. It's all good. 
And then I feel really proud of myself too, because I'm like, yes, I got a deal. It makes me think I got exactly. a deal. So for people that actually have the money, it makes them feel like they got a deal. They're happy with their purchase. And for the person that buys it in installments, it makes them happy because maybe they can't pay it all at once. So this allows them to be able to be priced into the course or to the community or the book or whatever it is you're selling. The t-shirts, we talked about t-shirts with uh, Jason. Mm-hmm. Zuck, you know, how, like, so an understanding what, you know, works for different people. And so that's why I like this idea is that it works for more than one kind of person. Right. Because when you're doing the payments, now this example did five payments of 99. So you're not really saving, but usually what you see, it would be six payments of 99 so that Mm -hmm. you're paying $600 total. But if you can pay it right now up front, $499. So you're, you know, you're saving money, but a lot of people are going to do the 99 because it's a little bit more affordable. They can stretch it out. But at the end of the day, they're going to be paying a little bit more. So I think a smart offering installments like that. Tactic number 35 is follow the rule of 100. And, you know, I've been doing digital marketing for 22 years. I have heard this rule over and over and over over the years. And I think it's a smart one. So when you offer discounts, you want to maximize their perceived size. That way people feel like they're getting a better deal. So let's consider a $50 blender. Which discount seems like a better deal? 20% off or $10 off? I mean, what sounds better? You know, do the math. Both discounts are the same monetary value. However, one discount has an advantage. So give a percentage discount when your price is under $100. So when we're doing a $50 blender, you want to say 20% off, mm-hmm. but give an absolute discount when the price is over $100. So if it was going to be $250 to purchase, say it's $25 off. Instead of 10%, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, in both cases, you'll be choosing the discount with the higher number, which inflates the perceived magnitude of your discount. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. You know, these little things that we can do can make a huge difference when it comes to the whole psychology behind it. So we don't want to leave you out there because I'm sure at the end of this, these are great tactics, but you're still saying, well, what should I make my course be? Like, what should the (laughs) price be? (laughs) We were thinking about that. And I do have an answer for you on that. I do have a great way of doing that, that I've kind of worked out through my own business and through the things that I've put together that I'm happy to share with you. And I'm going to put together a nice little calculator for you. Well, it's really just a spreadsheet that you can go in and add your numbers and see what comes up. But I'm going to walk this through with you really quickly. Don't feel like you have to take notes. Just go to our show notes and download the calculator. It's a lot easier. But you know, if you don't want to do that, and you are like a do it yourselfer like me, you can listen through this. So the first thing that I always do is say, figure out how much it's going to cost me or what's going to cost you to deliver the product. We did this the other day and I walked through this with Madeline. It's pretty powerful, right, Madeline? Oh, absolutely. This it process. Is. Yeah. So you look at everything you're going to spend and you really make a very good faith effort. Like how much is it going to cost you to put together the, the graphics? How much are you going to pay with Facebook advertising? What are you going to do? How much is this going to cost you overall? your hard costs, not your own time, although you can add that if you want to, if you're really brave and you want to do that, you can do that as well. And add all of these pieces up and then mark it up by 20 to 30%. Because here's the thing, no matter what you put in here, it's not going to be enough. (laughs) 
So definitely always mark it up for 20% and just say, okay, yeah, there's going to be some contingencies. Things are going to come up. I'm going to have to spend some money on stuff I didn't really anticipate. So always add it in because you don't want to end up being in debt because of the program that you offer. Then think about what the minimum amount of money you need to make to break even. So that will give you that total. That's how much you need to deliver and the money you need to break even. Then you ask yourself, what is the value of what you're offering if someone were to pay you to get it one-on-one? So like, what's your hourly rate? How much time are you going to spend on it? What kinds of things would have to go into that? Just sit down and figure that out. If you're still working a full-time job, think about your salary and you know, look at the number of hours you work every year and divide your salary by the number of hours. That will give you a good idea of what you make per hour. And you can just kind of get that sort of on the back of the hand. And then how many students can you realistically serve? So if you're going to do this as a one-to-one, a one-to-many, you know, one to a smaller group, what can you do? Because you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. So you have to say, hey, if I can only serve, say, 15 students, you're going to take that amount and you're going to divide that amount of students into the cost that you have to make. And then you'll have a minimum cost for providing that program. And that's not what you're going to make for yourself. That's how much it's going to cost for you to provide the service. Then once you get that in there and you figure out how many students you can realistically serve, your price should be somewhere in between break even and full service pricing is what you're going to want to look at. So if you were going to offer this one on one, this is how much it would cost times the number of students, or here's the number of stuff that you're going to pay for times the number of students It's two numbers. So say one is 1500 and the other one is 4000. You probably want to have something in between like say $3,000 you want to make total. Then you take the number of students and you divide it into that 3000 and you get a per unit cost for what you want to do. And so here's what I'm going to tell you. We're going to take one of these tactics that we talked about, the three layer pricing. So that would be your lowest price. You know, that would be your lowest price. Then you want to mark up to the next price 100%. So you take that and you double it and that would be the medium price. And then you take that and double it again and that would be your high price. And you can kind of play with this. If the high price makes you go, oh my gosh, and faint, you know, lower it a little bit, just where you feel comfortable. Pricing is also somewhat about you and your own feeling when you offer the price. You want to make sure that you feel like that price is something you could be proud to offer. The highest price should give you just a little bit of a sick stomach. The middle (laughs) price should be like, yeah, if I got that, that would be awesome. And the low price should be like, yeah, that's a no brainer. Somebody should do it for that price. So you want to have all those three prices there. And then you can decide if you want to, which one you want to go for. You can do a three level pricing for people, give them different amounts of service based on which price they choose. Just make it so that you, each price feels good to you. And then you'll have three prices you can look at. And either you can go with the single pricing model, or you can go with the three part pricing model and just give them different amounts of service based on which one they choose. So that's, it. I know that was really a lot right there. That's why we're going to give it to you in a download. Yeah, this is a lot of great information. And we love to hear from you post in the Facebook group what you thought of this episode. And what are your two cents that you can add to this? Uh, We would love to hear from you. Yep, we sure would. Okay, guys, thank you very much for listening in. And we hope that you have a great price now for some of the stuff you're thinking about putting online. And we'll see you next week. Bye for now. Hey, this is Madeline, and I want to let you know you can connect with us on our website at communitiesthatconvert.com. You can get all the information in the show notes for this episode, and we also encourage you to visit us on our Twitter profiles. 
You can reach out to me at Madeline Sklar. That's spelled M-A-D-A-L-Y-N-S-K-L-A-R. And also to Cami. Her Twitter handle is at CamiChat, and that's spelled K-A-M-I-C-H-A-T. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the Communities That Convert podcast with Madeline Sklar and Cami Hoiza, where you learn how to build a tribe of raving fans. Stay in touch with Madeline and Cammie through their website at communitiesthatconvert.com. Music